to the degree that you are self-confident and work on your self-confidence and surround yourself with people who lift you up and read and digest information that is uplifting and, and, and positive and hopeful and, and strength building and get rid of things that are negative and doubting. I'm a big believer that those things create the foundation required for you to eventually be extremely successful. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have Scott Lease on the phone. Really, uh, really excited to be chatting with him. Um, we're going to be discussing the radical path to sales enlightenment. By way of introduction, Scott is a sales leader with an outstanding track record of being involved in really cool businesses. He's an entrepreneur and he also runs Scott Lease Consulting. In addition, he's also the best-selling author of Addicted to the Process and the founder of surfandsales.com. Scott, welcome to, uh, welcome to Outside Sales Talk. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So... Scott, you had a different uh, start to your sales career than than most. Uh, would you like to share some of that with us? Sure. I uh, <clears throat> got into sales about 15 years ago um, in a roundabout way. You know, I wasn't, I didn't go to business school. I, I didn't have an MBA. I, there was no such thing as sales classes in college um, when I was going to school. And um, I studied psychology and religion and, and played two sports in college and went to grad school for a master's degree in learning theory and just really like sales was nowhere on my radar whatsoever. Um, and then unfortunately, um, you know, I got really, really sick, um, got a couple autoimmune diseases and progressed and bought off uh, early colon cancer stuff. And I've had nine surgeries in my life, including three or four life-saving ones and got organs removed and all sorts of chaos ensued and end up addicted to uh, opioids during the process. So my health just like spiraled my life out of control for, for four years. Um, by the time I got healthy, you know, here I was 27 years old, I'd never had a real job before in my life that didn't involve sports of some kind, either coaching or getting paid to play. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had to figure out what I could do to, you know, kind of catch up to make up for this lost time in my career development and in my income level and all this kind of thing. And so sales to me was a strategic decision. It was the one place where I felt like, you know, if I worked hard enough, if I was successful enough, then I could catch up. And I, and I didn't know what other profession would give me that opportunity. Um, so it wasn't like I was super interested in it. It was just like almost necessity. This is what I have to do. Um, and I, you know, I didn't really fancy myself like a entry level or, or frontline kind of uh, employee for very long. And so I also strategically went to a very early stage startup. So I thought here, if I get my sales career off to a, a good start at this young company. Maybe I can grow a little bit. Um, and that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I went in, I, I did really well, really early, got promoted to a sales manager role and then a senior sales manager role. And 
before he knew it, I'd only been working like a year and a half and I had like 70 people reporting to me in two different offices. And, you know, for the better part of the last 15 years now, I've been building and scaling and advising sales organizations, um, you know, as they kind of get off the ground. My, my niche has always been the sort of zero to 20, 25 million ARR kind of sweet spot. And um, I've been with six startups and, and five of them uh, as a full-time operator went to, you know, 20 plus million ARR in, in less than three years time. So I've, I've always kind of been the guy that, you know, founders call upon early and help you go from, you know, zero to 60 kind of thing. So. And just cause a lot of our, a lot of our listeners aren't actually in the technology industry. Um, when he says zero to 25 in ARR, he means uh, ARR is annual recurring revenue. Uh, and uh, so it's basically just a, w a way that we talk about revenue and software, but he means he's taking a company from having all zero revenue to making $25 million a year, which is a decent size for a software company. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big, you know, milestone. It's sort of that uh, seed stage to like series C growth phase uh, and beyond. And um, that's always been what I like to do. I, I really like building things and being a part of that, that early growth. Yeah. Well, that's uh, the, that's what I'm doing right now. Is uh, we're 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 on that path to 25. So we're we're working on go. it. We, we got a ways to go, but uh, we're <laughs> on the path. Um, so uh, well, I, I really appreciate you sharing that story with us. Um, how how did how did that background and that mindset affect your approach to sales? Well, you know, first of all. Being a, a highly competitive athlete, I, you know, that I, I, I was already used to working hard, used to failing, used to getting back up, um, used to being a team leader and being a part of a team, um, listening to coaches, coaching other people. So, you know, that competitive drive and fire and that urge to win uh, and improve everybody around me, you know, that, that was there from a very early stage. Um, but the resiliency that it takes to survive, you know, some of the things that I've been through, um, just, you know, can't be understated. Um, you know, sales is incredibly difficult, uh, profession, you know, it's, you're gonna, you're gonna fail 99 out of a hundred times if you're, if you're lucky, if you're really good. Um, and so to be able to go from, 99 failures in a row to no loss of confidence on your 100th try, it requires you to be incredibly mentally tough. And, and I think that, you know, I, I worked that muscle, the only muscle I really was able to work on for four years. Um, and I think that that served me really well. You know, you get a sense of appreciation um, for every opportunity that you get and you don't want to do anything to squander those opportunities. So I, I think, I grew up, you know, really fast. I didn't have this mid twenties kind of period to figure myself out and the luxury of like trying this, that, and the other, and eventually, you know, something will feel good. You know, I, I kind of was throwing, I threw myself right into the fire and I was like, this is what I got to do. And I, I don't have a, another option. And so I was just completely determined and almost myopically focused on, um, you know, achieving success in sales. And you obviously had a, 
very successful career in sales to date. Um, tell me about some of the reasons behind um, why you think you you progress so quickly. Was it the background? Was it the mindset? Was it the what 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 made you do what you did? I, I think it's the, the the mindset that I have. You know, I um, I've always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, even from my athletic days. You know, I grew up in a small town in Northern California that uh, you know wasn't heavily recruited, and yet I got recruited. Um, you know, I had Division One scholarship offers to go play one sport or the other. And I turned them down so I could go play division two because they would let me play both sports. Mm. What, it, what, it, what were the two sports? I played college soccer and college tennis mm. and I wanted to play both. And so I sort of said, well, screw you D one. I can get a full ride in D two and play both. So I, I've always like kind of rebelled against people telling me that I, you know, can't do something or, or shouldn't do something. And you, you know, you match that with this, kind of intense hunger to, to win and, and compete and, and, and beat people. Um, you know, that, that really fueled me. But the key to me, I think, for selling was that I, I figured out this process and this system that worked for me. And salespeople really struggle with um, sticking to with what works. And I, I don't have that genetic makeup, thankfully for me. Yeah, I'm the type of person that, you know, if I find something that works, I'm going to keep doing it until there is nothing left in that, in that tank. Uh, and I think that served me really well, you know. So while people change their pitch back and forth or change their intro and their messages when calls don't go their way, I didn't do that, you know. And I was working way longer hours than, you know, were required. And so I just, my learning curve was just massively accelerated. You know, I got used to saying the same thing at the same time and doing things this way over and over and over again. And I, I got really good at it really fast. Um, and that foundation kind of became ultimately the tenets of, of the, the book that I wrote and this sales model I created, the addiction selling model where, you know, you, you take people through the process by getting them to admit that they have pain, admit that they have a problem. And then getting them to understand the value and the reason to solve that particular problem. And then creating urgency in solving it. Why is it important to deal with right now? And then and only then is, in my opinion, is somebody interested in hear, hearing about the solution or, or the recovery process. And that recovery process and how you sell it just felt so similar to me and natural um, that I, I stuck with it. And, you know, I, I think that that has ultimately given me a tremendous advantage over a lot of other salespeople who are constantly tinkering and getting in their own head. Mm -hmm. Makes a ton of sense. And, you know, so adherence to the process and uh, hard work, it sounds like we're, are, uh, are, are what you're saying, the keys are from going from, you know, from just starting your career at 27 to, to being the SVP of sales at Qualia. Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly at the beginning, you're not going to experience the success you want if you don't put in the time and effort and you don't have a really clearly defined process. You can't just flutter away trying this and that, you know, and I would encourage anybody who's getting started in their career to find an organization that teaches a particular process and learn that process to a T 
um, that's that's going to be the building blocks, hopefully, of, of a successful career. Yeah, and and that's that certainly was true in my case. I, I uh, after after business school, I went to IBM and um, did their like year. They have like a, or at least they had back in the day, like a year long um, sales training track where they were trying to kind of groom sales executives. And, uh, and so it was a year long of, you know, it was a year, it was basically a degree in, in selling from IBM and and learning that process was extremely, I mean, game changing for me to, to have that as, as the, as the basis on which I was starting my, my sales career. Interesting. Um, so you, you said time management t- techniques are, are nothing without confidence. What, what do you mean by this? T- talk about that. Time management techniques are nothing without confidence. Well, you have to be confident in your ability to get things done fast in your decision making. So I manage my time by not um, squandering it over small, minor decisions and even large decisions I, t- I tend to try to make pretty fast information comes in process information talk to a couple people get input from your teammates make decision move on live with consequences if there are some um, and I think that you have to be courageous on some level in order to operate that way and if you can operate that way you'll get a lot more shit done on a daily basis you know I mean I, I tease some some uh, people that I know about how long they make a decision to pick, you know, one vendor over the next. It's like, dude, haven't, you haven't decided that yet? Or, you know, one hire over the next. You know, people take ages sometimes to hire a VP of sales. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you doing? These people have been out there for a month, like, wondering what's going on. Like, if I was them, I wouldn't work for you just because it took so long to make a decision. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of kind of what I mean. You know, I think that that's the more self confident you are, and the more you believe in yourself and the decisions you make, you're managing your time more effectively because of that, and you're therefore able to get more stuff done. And, and in your book, uh, you talk about building the mindset to succeed. Um, talk about how could you talk about how that uh, creates a a better salesman? Well, I'm a firm believer that better people sell better. So what I mean by better people is, you know, if I'm, if I'm building or leading a sales organization, my job is to somehow teach the, the folks around me and, and, and lead them and enrich their lives a little bit. And a lot of that just starts with believing in them. You know, there's so many salespeople who come from rough backgrounds or, you know, stumbled into the profession and, you know, some of them never had, you know, their parents never believed in them. Their friends network never believed in them. The legal system didn't believe in them, whatever, whatever it is, you know, other sales orgs didn't believe in them. Maybe didn't give them a long enough leash to ramp up or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm trying to, express that to the degree that you are self-confident and work on your self-confidence and surround yourself with people who lift you up and read and digest information that is uplifting and, and, and positive and hopeful and, 
and strength building and get rid of things that are negative and doubting. I'm a big believer that those things create the foundation required for you to eventually be extremely successful. Um, and so you've got to work on that mindset. It's not just a switch that you flip. It's a muscle. You have to do all of these different things. You put yourself in positions to succeed. You are self-aware enough to know, for example, that you know maybe you're too impatient to be a salesperson in a two-year sales cycle, right? You need instant gratification. So you don't go to those kind of jobs. You take more transactional jobs, or maybe it's the opposite. All of these things is you put yourself in the position to succeed and you experience some wins, they reinforce the fact that you're making good decisions and that just kind of has a you know domino effect and, and slowly builds you up. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. If, if you, uh, and I, I can see how you should, if you're a sales leader, you can try to create an atmosphere that is supportive and, and, and uh, believes in your salespeople. What if you're a salesperson in an environment that, that is tough, is not supportive, um, doesn't then believe you should, in you? Then you should leave. Then you should leave. In this day and age, with the amount of opportunities that are out there for salespeople, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> there is no reason whatsoever to work at an organization who doesn't value uh, the folks who are bringing in revenue for, for the team. There's just not. There's no reason anymore to work for a shitty sales manager or VP of sales. There's no reason anymore to work for a company that treats their, their revenue produ producers uh, like dirt. Yeah. So my, my best piece of advice would be if, if you're stuck in that situation right now, you need to pull the ripcord, believe in, in yourself that you are a valued commodity and will not have a hard time finding another role and go out there and find an environment that supports you the way that you, uh, you deserve to be treated and is going to put you in a better position to succeed and learn and grow. Fantastic advice. Um, You, you you've talked uh, you talked a bit about the the metaphor that that you have with the sales process and addiction. Could you could could you could we dive in more deeply about that? I think it's I think that's a really cool framework that I've I've never heard anyone uh, put out there before. I'd love to love to hear you talk about that. Well, you know, in in the recovery process, you know, you you've got to get somebody to admit that they have a problem before they're willing to even remotely get close to dealing with it, right? But you and I both know probably dozens of functioning addicts or alcoholics or abusers of, 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 some, of some kind mm -hmm. who don't really believe that it's that big of a deal. They kind of know that they have a problem, but they really don't see any compelling reason to change yet. So that value is not there yet, right? let alone the urgency. They're, they're not at risk of you know, losing their job or losing their home or their family or their health or something like that, right? They haven't, they haven't reached that stage yet, so they don't have any urgency. Mm -hmm. So you can't walk up to somebody and be like, hey, I'm, you know, I got this killer rehab facility up in, uh, up in Sonoma County in the hills. Like, people will just be like, look at you crazy. Like, what are you talking about, man? 
Yeah. Um, and sales to me, it's, it's just the same, the same thing. So many crappy salespeople and sales organizations teach people to email or pick up the phone and lead straight away with their solution, with what their product is and what their product does. I got news for you. Like nobody cares. I don't care about that because I don't even think I have that problem. Why are you starting at the end with me? It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You have to get the prospect to admit that they have your particular problem, your particular pain. It's not even good enough to just tell somebody that they have the problem. I can't go tell you if you're an addict, hey, you're an alcoholic. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. your first reaction is going to be like, whoa, dude, back off, right? You'll feel threatened. Mm -hmm. But if I ask you questions and get you talking and get you thinking a little bit, you're likely to end up in a place where you're like, yeah, I mean, maybe I need to take a look at this. Like maybe, maybe I am drinking too much. Maybe I am, you know, smoking too much or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that's phase one. You, you, okay. Now you've admitted you have a problem. Now it's my job to educate you on why you should care about fixing this problem. Right. Here's why this is important to your business. Here's how it can impact you. Here's, if you do nothing, here's what's at risk. If you make these changes, here's the benefit that will come your way. Here's how your pro productivity and team production will increase, all these kind of things. That's why people decide to make this change. Does that make sense? And they're like, okay, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand. I, I, I believe I have a problem. I understand you know, why people are solving this problem, but I got these other things that I'm working on. So now it's time for me to create urgency within you. Now I need to explain, well, hold on. You, you admitted you have a problem. You understand why this is important. Now I need to tell you why it's important to solve right now. Why it's more important than anything else potentially going on in your business. Like your house is on fire here. Okay. These are all the things that you're bound to lose. You might go out of business. You're going to lose these customers. You're going to churn these employees, whatever your product, whatever your solution is that you're selling, you've got to find a way to hammer home some level of urgency. And I don't deviate from that process. No matter what, I don't skip steps. I don't rearrange the order. I go pain, value, urgency, and then and only then is it my opinion and belief that somebody is open to hearing about your solution. So I don't talk about my product until they've admitted pain, understand the value, and have a sense of urgency around it. And to me, it mirrors and matches up with the recovery process perfectly. Yeah, it's a really powerful framework. Um, I think it works as well because it's really, really simple. Yeah. You know, it's, it's only four steps. It's words that are really familiar for salespeople and sales leaders. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's difficult, um, you know, to conceptualize and, you know, it has potentially an added benefit of, uh, there's a lot of salespeople that are half degenerates out there so they can kind of relate to some of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so you're, you're a big surfer, uh, and, uh, and see, you know, it's a big hobby for you. I, I had a, uh, I had a, a VP of sales. I remember telling me, uh, you know, Benson, there's, uh, there's, there's two types of sales guys. Um, the good, the good ones and the great ones and, uh, good sales guys, they play golf on the, on the weekends. 
the great sales guys are at home prospecting. Um, and uh, how do you how do you balance and align your your passion for surfing with uh, with a professional sales career? Do you have any tips for people how to how to live their best lives by by getting to do their do the thing they love, but also be successful? Well, there's a lot to unpack in that that whole sentence. Um, you know, I when I was first getting started in sales, yes, I worked my butt off. I worked like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. And I would even go in every single Saturday from 9 until 1, 1.30 in the afternoon. Um, but on those Saturdays, I always went surfing afterwards. And even a couple times during the week when the light was out and the traffic wasn't bad enough in San Francisco, I'd go after work. And I used it as a reward for myself and as a way to kind of wash away the stress of the day. Uh, but you know, some of those messages that people speak to about like, you know, great salespeople are prospecting all weekend, every weekend. I, I'm so tired of that shit. You know, that, that mindset has been around for a really long time. And I think it was maybe born in the eighties and, and just like, this massive consumerism and get everything you can and wall street greed and all this shit. I look, I, I'm as ambitious as, as anybody, you know, I, I want to be successful. I want to make more money this year than I did last year all the time, but your priorities, uh, you know, change as you get older. It's far easier for me to work 12 hours a day in the office when I'm 27 years old and have no kids. I can't work 12 days in the office now. I got two kids, I'm married, I'm 42 years old. Like that's not realistic for me and I don't wanna do it. I wanna to go to my kids' practices. I wanna be a part of their after school events and their games on the weekend and coach their teams and stuff like that. Uh, and I wanna be able to take some trips and, and have some R&R &R and, and you know, um, experience some of the reward and benefit from all the hard work I did earlier in my career. So. I think you just have to be really, really careful um, about how you communicate that message of working hard to people. You know, you, you got to work hard, but like, is your life really going to be better if you make $8 million this year instead of seven? You know, I mean, how much money do we all really truly need in order to experience our best life, right? Um, and I don't have the answer to that question. It's different for every single person. But I do think that, uh, you know, more and more it's coming to light nowadays that, uh, you know, the old, I think the old mindset is kind of dying off a little bit. And I think people value their freedom more, their uh, <clears throat> mental health, their physical health, the flexibility in, in work environments and workplace. And I think people who have this, medieval mindset of like sit at your desk from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. seven days a week. I don't think anybody's going to work, want to work for those folks much longer. For sure. Uh, it's, uh, you know, definitely, I think the world has changed and, and the new, a new generation of people are, are in the workplace. And I think that, that the, uh, the, the way, a lot of the ways that we used to think about things are, uh, are, are being challenged now. T tell me, uh, tell me a bit about 
uh, surfandsales.com and uh, tell me about the Surf and Sales Summit. I, I, I thought this was so cool. I'd like, like to hear, have everybody hear about this. Yeah, it's just uh, <clears throat> born as an anti-establishment kind of micro sales conference. Um, you know, I, I, I understand, I suppose, why we need to have Dreamforce and all these other conferences that have tens of thousands of people running around them with thousand vendors selling everything. But that, that's just not really my scene. You know, if I want to learn about products, if I want to learn about people, if I want to learn about tactics, if I want to network, it to me is a far more rewarding experience to do it with a more intimate setting. So my idea was let's not go to New York, San Francisco, Omaha, whatever, you know, hotel lobby bar there is. Let's do something different. Let's go to a really cool spot like Costa Rica, or we're going to go next year in 2020, we're going to Nicaragua as well as Mexico and take this kind of show on the road and let's get, you know, 15 to 20 people to come every time, which is a manageable number, number where we can teach each other, learn from each other, have surf sessions in the morning and afternoon, but have like six, seven hours of content during the days and, you know, talk shop and spend time around like-minded individuals who, who want something a little different. Um, and we've had nothing but, you know, really powerful, positive feedback and experiences so far. And it's been absolutely awesome to, uh, to see the brand kind of starting to take off a little bit. You know, we've had three of them in the last 16, 17 months, maybe it is now. Um, all three of them sold out, got good, you know, sponsorship and and everything like that and the next one is uh february 24th to 28th in 2020 and then we're having two or three more later on in 2020 so um it's a it's a really good time and i encourage you to you know everybody to check it out i can tell you right now that like 90 percent of the people who come have never surfed before so it's by no means a prerequisite you know we uh i rent three houses right on the water and we have local surf instructors come work with everybody to help get them started. And we have locals come cook and, and clean. It's like the whole, you know, luxury kind of treatment. So it's a good time. Very cool idea. I, I absolutely love it. If I, uh, if I had a dollar for every time I've been at some hotel in some random city, you know, at, at some conference, it's uh, this is a really fresh take, I think, and, and feels a lot more genuine. Yeah, well, I hope so. That's that's certainly the goal. So uh, now I'd like to do sales in sixty seconds, which is the section where I I ask you short, short, easy questions, and uh, for for well, not not always easy questions, but but with with the expectation of uh, being done in sixty seconds. Rapid fire. Rapid fire, exactly. So uh, first one: Does anything in sales scare you? Not anymore. Not anymore. What do you think uh, is generally the most uh, the most frightening things for people in uh, in their sales jobs, and and how do you what do you think the best way of of overcoming that is? I mean, I think failure is what people are are most terrified of, if if anything. Um, and I and I think that people should just realize there's really no such thing as failure. Just because you can't sell one particular product doesn't mean you can't sell another. Just because you didn't do as well as you liked at one company has nothing to do with how well you might do at the next company. 
Um, and I think if you can get over that fear of failure and realize that you've been through significantly tougher moments in your life probably and overcome them, then it's easier to realize that this particular setback is really not that big of a deal. What's the first thing that you would teach your sales team? The addiction model of selling, of course. <laughs> Easy answer. Easy answer. Um, what's the second thing you teach them? Uh, I, I would teach them the you know real basics, like the basic tools that you need to be successful. <clears throat> you know the 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 structure of of cold calls and cold emails, the structure of how to run a demo, how to you know uh, ask the right kind of questions, how to handle. Uh, objections and rebuttals and that kind of thing. That's, that's the second step. What kinds of books and stories are inspirational to you? Man, you know, I, the stories that inspire me are, are, are usually ones of like personal triumph and things like that. Like I like reading, uh, you know, biographies, for example. Um, I, I like reading books about you know i read a book about these people who uh, crossed antarctica called endurance things like that not not business books not even really sales books i like reading about people who you know kind of been through hell and and found a way uh found a way around it or through it what's the greatest lesson your sales career has taught you I think that you control you, you know, you, you are ultimately in control of your career and, and your success and your failures. Um, you know, you, you want to blame the product. Well, you pick to go work there. That's your fault. You want to blame the prospect. Well, you're the one who decided they were a good prospect to spend time with. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think if everybody can just take, you know, full ownership of their success and, and, and failures and stop pointing the finger at, you know, other people or playing the blame game. Uh, I think, you know, you, you realize that you ultimately are in, in control and you can do as well or as poorly as you allow yourself to do. You have a, a, a favorite surf spot? Favorite surf spot. Hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to screw up the pronunciation, but Playa Asunchilo in Nicaragua. I went there with about 10 friends for a week a couple years ago. And I'm not kidding. The entire week, we didn't see anybody else on the whole couple mile stretch of beach. And uh, so that, that place is sent forever, you know, etched in, in, in stone in my mind as like the best surf trip of all time. Awesome. Yeah. So as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople that are listening today do as a first step towards developing their mindset to succeed? Well, I, I think you, you should take ownership of the, of the fact that you are in control of your, your story your destiny, so to speak. You know, if you are not where you want to be, you need to figure out why. You need to be introspective and think, what am I doing here that is holding me back? 
And if you're truly being held back by the folks around you or the organization you're in, then take control and find a new place to, to go um, and work on your mindset, work on your confidence, you know, work on the relationships around you that should be uplifting and empowering you. Who are you learning from? Who's your mentor? Um, you know, who's your support system? Um, and then, you know, the second piece I'll add in is like, take a look at your sales process right now. And are you jumping straight ahead to pitching the product and features, the solution, before you're getting somebody to admit they have a problem, before they understand the value of that problem, before they have any urgency around it? And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people listening right now analyzed their current sales process and found a lot of faults and a lot of incongruencies with what I'm talking about. So I would encourage them to make that adjustment and talk about that adjustment with their organizations. Powerful message. Well, uh, Scott, I'm going to try to go over my notes here and summarize what we've, uh, what we've talked about and what you, what you've taught people. Uh, cause a lot of people can't take notes cause they're driving around their cars on the road, generally in field sales. Um, so your book addiction to the process teaches adherence to the process of sales and, and it teaches hard work. Um, you believe that salespeople should manage their time by not squandering it, spending time uh, you know, on little decisions, minor things. And there's a, a key message of being more confident in yourself and believing in yourself so that you can make those decisions and choices more efficiently. Um, you said better people sell better, which I thought was a great quote. Uh, and as a sales, what that means is as a sales leader, it's important to believe in your reps. Um, maybe no one else has believed in them in the past and, and, and that belief will make them better. You want to build a foundation of confidence for your reps so that they can become better and therefore sell better. In your book, you, you made a, you built a connection between addiction and sales and, and you built a framework around this. You talked about how salespeople need to get the prospect to admit that they have a problem, get the prospect talking and, and thinking so that they can admit that they have a problem. Um, and then you need to, the sales rep can move on to educating the prospect on the value that solving that problem uh, would, would have to them. <clears throat> and then creating a sense of urgency. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm choking on myself here. And, uh, and finally, after all that, after you've gotten them to admit they have a problem, that the problem is what, what the value of solving that problem is, and you've created that urgency, then you present your solution to the prospect. Um, really powerful framework. As a manager, you, you have to be careful about how you're communicating a message of working hard um, because as a, as a, and as a salesperson, you have to be conscious about keeping a work-life balance so that you can be sustainable in life. Um, we talked about your, the, the surf and sales summit, which, uh, which mixes in surfing with, with sales education and, uh, and, and personal development and, uh, really, really cool, tight knit, small group 
having a microconference somewhere somewhere awesome instead of a uh, the basement of a hotel in Boston. <laughs> not there's other <laughs> not there's anything wrong with Boston, but I've I've been I've been to a conference there in the basement in the wintertime and I was just like, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> so uh so Scott, where where can listeners read more about your work? How can they reach out to you? How do you how can they be in touch? Yeah, uh <clears throat> so I run my own sales consulting um firm. It's website is scottleesconsulting.com. Um you can check out Surf and Sales at surfandsales.com. Uh and I'm all over LinkedIn. You know, I post really regularly. Um I'm actually maxed out of connections. So if you try to connect with me, I, I won't be able to connect with you. But if you follow me, you can see the things that I write on there. And if you message me directly, um, you know, I'm really good at getting back to people and, and uh, just trying to generally be as helpful, you know, as I can. But um, that's, those are the best places to find me. Well, this has been a fantastic episode of the Outside Sales Talk. Um, if any of the listeners out there can think of other sales reps that would benefit from learning what Scott's talked about today. Uh, share the love and forward this episode onto them. Um, Scott, really appreciate you coming and uh, everybody take care and until next time. All right. Thanks a lot, Steve.